Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Climbing the Ivy on the Fan Side of Network. This is your host, Alex Pat, alongside Adam McGinnis. To all the Cubs fans out there, I wish you a very happy new year and welcome to our first show of 2020. We have a very, very special show for you today. We are going to relive, recap, and talk all about the decade that just ended for the Chicago Cubs, the 2010s. Needless to say, it was probably one of the more memorable decades that we living Cubs fans have witnessed. I mean, let's face it, it was probably the best decade for the Cubs in over 50 years. We're talking like since the 30s. So we're going to have a lot of fun on the show. We're going to talk about the best moments, the best trades, the best players, the best games, and some of the worst of it too, because as Chicago sports fans, we have to reminisce about the worst as well as the best. So stick around. Welcome to the new Roaring Twenties, and we got a great show for you. Adam, how you doing? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. Can't believe we're in a new decade already. It's kind of crazy. Well, you know, it's funny. It's It feels like it flew by, you know, when you look back at it. Yeah, and I think that, you know, the thing is, is that it's going to be even more so that way for us coming up. I mean, you and I are roughly the same age. Mm-hmm. And, and in this last decade, I mean, we packed a lot of stuff into this last decade. I know me personally, middle school, high school, college, all in the same decade. And now it's like on to the rest of your life. Uh, and I think... The, the coming decades will go by even quicker for us. But uh, yeah, I'm ready for it. I, 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 I'm still waiting eagerly to find out what we're going to call this round of the 20s. Like you said, we, we had roaring 20s 100 years ago. Uh, what this round of the 20s will be is to be determined, I guess. Uh, it's in our hands. Uh, hopefully it's not the boring 20s, but yeah. <laughs> uh, it might be. And if it is, maybe that's for the best. Yeah, that's true. We'll we'll have to see how that goes. It's crazy. When the decade began, the 2010s began, uh, I was a sophomore in high school, and I was just getting behind the wheel of a car for the first time. Driver's Ed was second semester in 2010. So 2009, 2010 school year. As soon as 2010 hit, I was in Driver's Ed. And it's kind of like you said, it's going to go by quicker now because life kind of plateaus in your mid-20s. So the 2010s, I graduated (laughs) high school. I went to college, graduated college, and then I got like my first full-time job. Now, I mean, yeah, yeah, sure, there's still finding a wife, getting married, having kids, having my own house, but, you know, that was a lot crammed in one decade, I will say. It's kind of funny how quickly things change for you, too. I mean, like, I, I have a sister, she's 19 years old, and on New Year's Eve, She's going out with a bunch of friends and she's out till, you know, early in the morning. And me, I'm 24 years old. And by 10 p.m. on New Year's Eve, I was like ready to go to bed. (laughs) And and I was and I was totally fine with that. I wasn't looking for anything to do, didn't want to go anywhere, just wanted to lay around and veg. Yeah, you know, New Year's New Year's can change, you know, it can change quickly. Yeah. And, And, you know, it's like. Five years ago, I, as a teenager, I wouldn't have been able to fathom that, just wanting to lay around the house on New Year's Eve. But it, like, it's weird to me that this is the way I want things to be now. <laughs> no, I mean, when you're in your mid-20s, the desire to not do anything skyrockets. It, it really does. does. And it's it's not at all the way I thought it would be either. I mean, 
uh, you know, when I was 19, 20, uh, about to turn 21, I was looking forward to like an, an entire decade of my life of bar hopping and going insane and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I, I almost never am the one that, you know, instigates going out to bars and hanging out and doing stuff like that. If people ask me to, I will, but generally speaking, I'm content to just kind of sit around and keep it low key. You know, if I'm going out, I like to just go eat or whatever. It's sure. It's it's not it's not exactly how I pictured things. I I, I imagined myself being kind of wild throughout my twenties, but I I've, I'm pretty pretty much content just to take her easy right now. I'm I'm a pretty boring person for being in my mid twenties. Yeah, for me, it's kind of all about balance. I like going out. I like making plans with people, but I'm not like the ones who like to do it all the time and want to do like crazy club scenes. No way. Can't stand it. Can't stand it. Being in being in bars where I mean, you barely have enough room to stand, and and there's you know the music is loud, and it's it's not my kind of music anyway. Like. God, I, I sound like a really grumpy old man right now, <laughs> somebody who can't hang. But I'm with, I'm right there with you. That's not my scene. I am generally just uh, like a nervous wreck in those situations. I don't enjoy it. <laughs> no. It, mostly, mostly I just think people look like they're embarrassing themselves a lot of times, and I don't want to be that guy. Uh, I, I just enjoy solitude, too, really. I, I enjoy my uh, quiet alone time. Just as well, much, you know, yeah. going out and raging or whatever. Sure. I mean, like, you know, the last few weekends, I'd been pretty busy. I hung out with friends. I hung out with family. Uh, you know, I had a New Year's party at my house. This weekend, my desire to do nothing is so high. And there are just there are some weekends where I say, OK, I was busy for a while. I'm designating this weekend as a don't bother me. Don't talk to me. Don't interact with me weekend. Just let me be. Because it was a long week at work, and I was tired, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Recently, uh, me and a couple buddies, we went and saw Star Wars. uh, Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, I I like keeping it kind of small circle stuff like that recently, too. But, uh, boy, I got to say, Star Wars sucked. I don't know what you thought of this last movie, but sheesh. I thought it was fine. The trilogy as a whole is not good. There were a lot of things I wish they did differently, but to wrap up this trilogy, I thought it was fine. There were some scenes I really liked. There were some things I didn't. It was definitely a flawed movie. Frankly, I think like the expanded, like you look at like Mandalorian and you look at like the Rogue One movie, and yeah, you know, I yeah. those I think those are better than the current trilogy. Frankly. Oh, abs absolutely, one hundred percent with you there. Loved Rogue One. Rogue One Loved is. It. Are Rogue One is far and away the best thing Disney has done with Star Wars. I agree. They acquired it far and away. I agree. Uh, the Mandalorian overall, I think, is good. Uh, I the only thing that I really didn't like about it is that there was three filler episodes in a row in the middle of the season. All three of those episodes were totally irrelevant to what they were doing. But but the plot that they had was cool. I think it, it was it's a cool concept. I love the way they ended it. Those last two episodes were awesome. Oh, they were great. It's, they were it's, great. It's cool, yeah. And I, I like how, you know, that they've set it up in a way that it's appealing to casual fans, but also to uh, 
the really diehard fans who have like watched all the content and dove deep into the lore. And so it, it, there's something there to appeal to everybody. I think it's good. It's way better than this new trilogy. The, overall, this trilogy I thought was really bad. It was just not cohesive, incoherent mess. Getting different directors was a huge mistake. And it was it's painfully obvious that they had no idea where they were going with this when they started it. I think if you you know for something this big for a trilogy, you've got to have some kind of a roadmap and you have to know how it's going to end before you even start it because when you don't, you get this convoluted mess that we got with with a lot of the uh, the faults that the prequels have, at least the prequels at least had it was a coherent story, out. yeah right. Yeah, it was say all what you want out. about the dialogue and the acting. At least it was a coherent story. Right. And the one thing I will say about the new trilogy is the acting in the new trilogy is so much better than the prequels. So much better. In most cases, yes. Yeah. And, and I mean, the other thing, too, is... The I cinematography think... is amazing. I mean, Oh, sure. With all, the gripe, with all the gripes that I have about the writing and the dialogue of these new movies... The one thing, you know, that you can't deny is it, it really is a visual spectacle. It's it's amazing cinematography. Which is refreshing because you know what? One of my biggest complaints about the prequels is literally outside of like the main actors, everything is freaking CGI. Yeah, the they prequels. they went too overboard with it and some of that stuff is not aged well at all. Which is really just a testament to practical effects. And I think the best example of that is Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Because in the the original, the Lord of the Rings trilogy that came out in the early 2000s was mostly practical effects. Mm-hmm. And it holds up really well. 20 years later, it still looks really good. There's the occasional CGI thing that doesn't look so good anymore, but it's pretty minimal and most of the effects are practical. So it holds up really well. Whereas the Hobbit trilogy, which I liked the Hobbit trilogy, but I, I just love Tolkien stuff. Hobbit went way, way overboard with CGI stuff, and some of it just doesn't look very good on your TV. Sure. It looked, it looked fine. It, like with a lot of movies, it looks good in theaters, but once you're watching it at home, it doesn't look quite as good. There's a difference. And, definitely. Yeah, and honestly, I, I, I think that the Lord of the Rings trilogy is going to hold up better than the Hobbit trilogy. Well, I, I'm not really into the Lord of the Rings, but I think from what I've heard, really? most people would agree with you. Yeah. Wow. That's surprising to me. You strike me as the kind of person who would be really into it. it it's not that I have anything against it. I just I just never got into it. You know, like, yeah. I'm super into Star Wars, super into Harry Potter, uh, super into, like, comic book, like, hero stuff. Ne- never really Lord of the Rings. And I just think as a kid... I just never really had the patience for the movies because they are long. They're, they, they are like three hours each. Right. You need to dedicate your time to watch Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I think you could agree with that. I, I loved it as a kid, though. That's I mean, that's the other difference between Lord of the Rings and Star Wars is like, you know, prequel series was around the same time as the Star Wars trilogy. And I loved both of them when I was a little kid, loved both of them. But as I got older, I watched the prequels and I was like, oh, wow, these movies are actually pretty bad. Not the case with Lord of the Rings. Those were actually really well done. Yeah, you know, I I watched Phantom Menace recently and 
The one bad, thing I could say bad, about bad, Phantom bad. Menace, <laughs> one thing that I like about it was Liam Neeson as Qui-Gon Jinn. That was yeah. really about it. Yeah, about I, I mean, I think for I think that's easier for us to swallow uh, because, you know, we were really young when those came out. But I think for a lot of people, they probably had a hard time as seeing that character as anyone other than just the person Liam Neeson. Like, I think there are some franchises where you can't get somebody who's too big and too popular. Like if they made another star Wars trilogy and casted like Leonardo DiCaprio or something, I would have a really hard time seeing it as anyone other than just DiCaprio. You know, no, what I, mean? I know what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. I mean like Eden McGregor wasn't as big back then. No, no. Uh, I mean, Samuel L. Jackson's been big for a while, but he's, I mean, yeah, he's probably up there with, with Neeson kind of in that same sure. park. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. Well, um, why don't we just get into the Cubs now? Believe it or not, <laughs> okay. this is a Cubs okay. show. <laughs> if we must. If we must, yeah. I mean, we're we're justified in this. It's the off season. There's almost nothing going on baseball related. I mean, there's some some big signings and trades happening, but not with the Cubs. Not so. with the Cubs, no. There's well, a lot going on in the city, but it's not our team. Yeah, we we got our little pop culture fix in there. So exactly. So, recapping the decade, there's no question what the number one moment this decade was. I mean, do we really even have to debate? No. 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 But what I wanted to... I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to, to draw this out as long as possible for suspense, for dramatic effect. Dun, 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 dun. What I did want to debate, what were the, I got a top five moments. Okay. Obviously one, winning the World Series. What I wanted to debate about, what were the other four below the World Series? What were those other four moments? That is where I think the debates mm-hmm. begin. There's, so, so, there's a lot. There's a ton. It's really hard to, ju- to condense it down to just five. But So let's look at our number fives. And let's each give ours, and then okay. we'll discuss. Okay. What's yours? Uh, for me, my number five is Ron Doan closing out the NLDS in 2015. Uh, I, you know, there there were a lot of cool moments in that series, but I I watched that last pitch on a loop after it happened. I was so excited. Well, I have that higher spoiler alert. Um, okay. Okay. But my number five is in that season, in that postseason run. I have and another that... moment in that series higher. Okay, okay. Um, very interesting. I see you kind of broke it down. That's cool. Um, yeah, my I didn't number... know if that was cheating or not. But... No, 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 no. I mean, th- this is why we're doing this. This is why we're talking about it. Uh, my number five, mine are a little vaguer, like as a game as a whole. My number five is winning the wild card game in 2015 against the Pirates. Okay, that's a good one. Yeah, it was their first postseason win since 2003. That's a big one, right? Huge deal. Yeah, Jake Arrieta, who had that historic season, could not have capped it better than throwing a complete game shut. And you know, one of my favorite parts about that too is that you remember that tweet that he sent out. Oh, uh, I before sure that game when the fan, the fan was trash talking him and he said something along the lines of like, say whatever you want. It won't matter. <laughs> and then he mowed him down. He mowed him down. That and was cool. What, that made it even better. And what was so epic about the whole thing, that was on the road. 
That was not a really field. That was in a very hostile environment. Like you said, first playoff uh, appearance win since 2003. That's that is a moment. I think people use this phrase way too often. You remember where you were when this happened. People say that way too much. I think that is one of those moments. The Cubs 2015 wild card game. I feel like that is one of those moments where you would remember where you were when it happened. I was at B-dubs with a bunch of college buddies. We stayed at B-dubs for like four hours. Hey, that's worth it. I was was in a night class following the game on my computer. I wasn't paying attention. I was following the game, as was most of the class. Yep. Well, did you do well in the class, though? Yeah, it was an easy class. It was like a very basic web design class. Okay. Yeah, it was, it was like, it was easy. Okay, number four. What's your number four? All right, so for number four, I've got the Arietta no-hitter against the Dodgers. Okay, so his first career no-hitter. Yes, 2015. Okay. That was another one I could tell you where I was. I was in my college apartment. We did not have cable, so we didn't have ESPN, because if you remember, it was on ESPN that night. But I was listening to it on our old radio. My friends and I just gathered around the radio and listened to the mm-hmm. final few outs. I also was in my... Uh... Uh, first college apartment. Uh, I I remember my roommates uh, watching me go absolutely nuts when he finished it off. I was I was being kind of loud, screaming uh, as you as should. One does, yeah, as one does. So yeah, I I remember where I was on that one too. Which you know you should. That was that was only four years ago, five years ago, I guess. Of course, absolutely. That was very memorable. My number four was winning the 2016 NLDS, that unbelievable comeback they had in the ninth inning. They were down 5-2, to two, and they rallied and took the lead, and Chapman struck out the side and won the series. They were facing a Game 5 at Wrigley Field, and they were facing facing Cueto and Bumgarner in a winner-take-all Game 5 had they not come back and won that game. And I'm going to tell you right now, the curse would still live if we did not win that game because I don't think we would have won game five. I really don't. Probably not. I'm there with you. I don't know. I think that if we hadn't circumstances now might be a little different than they are, but you know, that's, that's debatable. Exactly. I mean, we'll never know for sure, but I mean, that was an epic comeback. That was historical. And I feel like that doesn't get talked about enough. I agree. That's a good one. I like it. Number three. What's your number three? Uh, number three is an, another uh, a fairly predictable one. I've got the Cubs winning the pennant in 2016. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Okay. Got some synergy was, going on. That was special. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. First trip to the World Series since 45. I was at uh, our local watering hole with some friends. And boy, did that place go crazy on that double play ball. And I tell you what, I'm sure you can agree with this, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners can too. That was the easiest playoff game of our lives. Weirdly. Like, there was no stress. They were in complete control. Kyle Hendricks threw just an unbelievable gem. The Dodgers never even threatened in that game. The Cubs took the lead right away in the first inning, scored multiple runs off Kershaw, kept adding on. Every break was going the Cubs' way. You remember Andrew Tolles dropped that ball. It, it, Kyle yeah. Hendricks wasn't letting them hit anything. Th- there was it was it was a breeze. That game was an absolute breeze. 
And you know what? We'd been through enough uh, trials and tribulations as fans. We deserved that. Let's be honest. We deserved it. Yeah. And then it was all just misery when Game (laughs) 7 and World... And that's the the one thing I want to say about Game 7. The memory of winning was the greatest feeling we could have. Yeah. But the memory of the game itself, that was that was torture. That game seven was not fun at all. That was heart attack it inducing was stressful. torture. It was miserable. Yeah, it was hard. <laughs> Ugh. I mean I, rem- I remember one of my buddies FaceTiming me when uh when the Indians tied it up and I, I just wanted to die. My <laughs> friend called me. One of my friends called me and said to see if I was still alive. When they tied it up, I was 100% certain that the Cubs were going to lose. Of I had course, no so doubt. Was I. I had no doubt in my mind that that game was over at that point. So, yeah, I was right there with you, and I think a lot of people were too. You know, there were people saying, oh, no, I still had faith. I don't know. Come on. You want to tell me otherwise after all we'd been through? It but just it, you know, it seemed like cruel, cruel fate that the Cubs would go that long without winning the World Series and then they'd lose game seven at when the very late. end. Yeah, it just felt like that was just going to be the cruelest and most Cubs thing to ever happen, to, to, to get that close and let us almost taste it but not quite give it to us. Well, you know what drove me crazy on Twitter during the game? Oh, they really drove me crazy. People counting down the outs. That, that drove me nuts. Couldn't handle the stress of that? No, no. I just, oh, that really bothered me. Like, when uh, Dexter Fowler hit the leadoff home run, oh, 27 outs to go. No, stop. Stop. Yeah, that's a little much. Anyway, yeah. Cubs winning the pennant, yours, mine. And it was really cool that that was at Wrigley Field. That was really cool. Yes, yeah. Very cool. I, I wish they could have won the World Series at Wrigley Field, but you know, beggars can't be choosers. I, I'll, I'll, I'll take it the way we got it. Me too. Speaking of two, number two. What's your number two? I got the Kyle Schwarber scoreboard home run mm, at number yes. two. Big moment. Yes. Cool moment. Just yes, yes, you know, yes. I think that's going to be one that stands the test of time and is just it's going to go down as one of the best Cubs moments in history, not just of this decade. I agree. My number two is just beating the cards in the NLDS. So it's kind of the same thing. You know, that works. Yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, that that was a huge milestone. They beat the Cardinals, the Cardinals. Yeah, it's something we truly didn't dream of. Right. Yeah, it couldn't have been more perfect. I mean, I dream of a day the Bears beat the Packers in a playoff game. That's that's how big it was. I it's not going to happen anytime soon, but anyway. Uh though it, it's it's interesting the Packers and the Bears had met twice in history in the playoffs. They're each one and one. The Cardinals when they met the Cubs in the playoffs despite both teams being around for over a hundred years, that was the one and only time they met in the playoffs. Was that year? Yeah, that's, that's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. That's a really, it's, it's really bizarre that it took that long because both of those franchises are super old. Right now, 
postseason outside of World Series has been around for about 50-some years, and most of the Cubs' seasons were not good while the Cardinals made it a ton of times, but still. I mean, some of the years the Cubs made the playoffs, the Cardinals were still in the race at those times, so especially in a wild-card era, you thought maybe they would have met up once before, but no, that wasn't the case. Uh, but that just that playoff series, there was so much in that series, yeah. and to go off the moment you mentioned... When Kyle Schwarber hit that home run, it felt like it was over. It wasn't a big lead. It was two runs. It definitely was not insurmountable for the Cardinals to come back. But when that happened, just the scale of that, I just you looked at the Cardinals. You saw a team that just looked defeated. They looked. They just looked defeated. I mean, that's they the only did. way I could describe it. Yeah, they did. It's like. All those stars that used to align for them were no longer aligning. Just a very different feel. I I thought the game was much different when it was tied and each team was in it. Then Rizzo hit the home run to take the lead. But when Kyle Schwarber just hit that missile, it just it it felt like it was over. I mean, it was still nerve wracking the west the rest of the way, but it it, that truly felt like the changing moment right there, that the nail Mm -hmm. in their coffin. What a memorable series, too. I mean, that's 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 going to be a hard one to forget. That, that'll that stick with you. And you know what? I'm going to say this, too. The World Series win trumps everything, right? I mean, it's right. winning the World Series. But I got to tell you, I enjoyed that postseason run in 2015 more than any other run. It was just I enjoyable. totally agree. Well, uh, yeah, I've always said that 2015 was was one of my favorite years following the Cubs. I think mostly to do with the fact that that was considered to be a year early. The Cubs, I think, weren't really supposed to be that good until 2016. Right. was when they were finally supposed to break the mold and get into the postseason and all that. 2015, yeah, that it was early. That That's when it really became fun to, to be checking the box score every night. You know, and you, we had several years in a row there before that where they, they were just going through the motions, losing record after losing record. And then in 2015, they're finally starting to put pieces together. And at a certain point, you're starting to think, maybe this team could actually do something. This it's, But uh, yeah, I, I'm with you there. That's I, I almost I enjoyed the 2015 regular season more than the the 2016 regular season. I because did I think too. because by 2016 then we were expecting them to get into the postseason, and so I think all we were all just kind of up the World mindset. Series. Yeah, we we're just kind of like we're just waiting for the postseason to start, as opposed to 2015 when you were just kind of on the edge of your seat the entire time. It was more exciting. The, right. the season in 2015 was much more exciting. Oh yeah, and, well, and I mean, in, in in 2016 too. I mean, the Cubs had that thing pretty much wrapped up, you know, really from early. like day it, one. Yeah, yeah, it became really clear really quickly who was going to win the division. Like, I'm not going to complain about winning 103 games. I enjoyed the heck out of that season. Don't get me wrong, but I know I may get flack for this. There were points in the 2016 season where them just mercilessly steamrolling bottom feeders over and over like the Reds and the Pirates and the Padres and, you know, whatnot. It almost got kind of boring. I agree with you. It's like, okay, you just kind of expected it. 
Yeah, like we were we were so ready for the 2016 postseason. It just it's like okay, another game. Okay, we beat the Reds like 14 to two again. Like it was fun in the beginning of the year when they got off to that great start. That was fun mm-hmm. as heck. But like when August rolled around, it's September, and they were like 18 games up. It's just like all right, already. Can we just get to the postseason? Like yeah, th- th- it I, was. I think a lot of people felt that way. Yeah, you were watching games at that point where Madden was like, "Let's just put our C lineup out there. Who cares? We're up by 18 games." So you had games being started by Trevor Cahill and. Tommy LaStella was leading off and you had Chris Coglin over at first and uh, David Ross was like catching and in the outfield, your starters were out. It's like, okay, you know, okay, yeah. let's, let's get on with, it. you know? Yeah. I got, I, I have some, some interesting trivia here for you. Something that I, I stumbled upon while, you know, trying to compile this list. It's, it's a little off topic, but, uh, but it's interesting nonetheless. So the Cubs did have a winning win percentage. Uh, they they were over 500 in the 2010s, the decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, they went 817 and 803, so just just barely above. But they still had a winning record in the two, in the 2010s. Can you guess the last decade before that when they had a winning record in a, in in the entire decade? Was it like the 30s? It was. Wow, you got it. It mm-hmm. was the 1930s was the last time before that that they had a winning record. Well, think about it. The the 2000s, you had three postseason teams, but you had a bunch of bad ones mixed in. Yeah. There. The 90s. Outside 98, that was a miserable decade. They were terrible. The 80s, you had 84 and 89. Everything else sucked. The 70s, you were competitive but pretty mediocre. The 60s, outside 69, you were awful. The 50s, you were awful. The 40s, outside 45, you were awful. I mean... And then, you know, you keep going back further. Really good in the 30s, really good in the 20s, really good in the 10s, the 1900s. They, like, they were really good in those those really early decades. And so, despite what a laughing stock the Cubs have been for the better part of the last century, they actually have a winning record all time in the history of their organization. Yeah. They, 514 they win percentage, which is, it's kind of funny. It's kind of ironic. It is. It's just when, um, when PK Wrigley took over William Wrigley, PK Wrigley was not a baseball man, good intentions, not a baseball man. So when PK Wrigley ran the show, the Cubs on the field were a disaster. Like outside Ernie Banks in the in the fifties, I mean they were losing a hundred games in multiple seasons. Yeah, fortunately, yeah, woof indeed. So uh, those are top five because, like we said, number one is winning the World Series. I don't think there's any question there. Um, okay, so where do we want to go to next on our little list here? Shall we go top five of our players, our top uh, five yeah. favorite players of the yeah, decade? Sure. Sure. Now, this isn't necessarily just based solely on stats. This is just kind of our personal preference. So, Adam, why don't, you just much, give, yeah. why don't you just give me your top five? I'll give you my top five, and we'll discuss. Okay, yeah, so I'll, I'll try to keep it brief. I put Schwarber at five, uh, mostly because of his World Series appearance coming back from uh, the injury or, or his playoff appearance, I should say. And the postseason uh, 2015, the po- too, post- he matched. Yeah, post- yeah, so 
and and I just like the guy. I like you know, he's a little portly and he, he's he's just really got that fan favorite kind of vibe about him. Yep. Uh, at number four, I've got Rizzo. Uh, just just because he's kind of been with the team for the long haul. He was there for most of the bad years leading up to the Chicago Cubs teams that finally started competing. Uh, then I've got Javi Baez at three because I think he he's the type of player that I would like to see more of in baseball, the kind of hyper-aggressive, uh, unpredictable, uh, stealing bases at will. He, he, he to me, is, is just a complete ball player with, you know, the elite defense, the home runs, and he, he's got a little bit of showtime to him too, pimping home runs. So there's something there for everybody. I think, mm-hmm. you know, it, people don't say this and you maybe wouldn't associate this with him, but I think there are elements of Javi's game that are sort of old school and could appeal to old school fans. Sure. Uh, you know, especially the base stealing, you know, base stealing for a long, long time was a huge part of baseball. Yes, it and was. Re- recently, we that's that's kind of started to wane and it's not as much a part of the game, but it still is with Javi. You never know when he's going to take off. Uh, so I, I, I just like the excitement that Javi brings to the game. I think there needs to be more players like him. I agree. Uh, at number two, I've got Carlos Zambrano. Loved watching him pitch. Oh. Uh, and even more so than that, I loved watching him uh, just ha- throw tantrums. I loved watching him beat the crap out of Gatorade coolers. Uh, funny guy, good guy, too, when he wasn't raging on the diamond. Fun to watch. At number one, I've got Derek Lee, which is kind of sort of... It's not cheating, technically, because he did play for the Cubs for a little bit in 2010. Mm-hmm. Before he got traded, so so I think you know I'll squeeze him in. He he just barely got in this decade, this last decade. I I had him just because he was kind of my introduction to serious Cubs fandom as a kid. I remember getting a Derek Lee jersey when I was younger, and that sort of too. started the domino effect of me getting really interested in the Cubs. So I got to make Derek Lee number one. Good for you, honestly for including players like that Uh, like really good for you i mean i just you know personally when i associate Derek lee aramis ramirez carlos zambrano alfonso suriano well i just i associate it with the 2000s yeah yeah i mean it's more so than the losing i I think of those guys i think about my childhood you know i I remember wearing i had a soriano jersey I, i remember uh jacking with those guys personal stats on mlb the show uh, <laughs> I think everybody did a little bit of that, a little bit, a little bit of cheating in games like that, and NCAA oh, and Madden. Yeah, everybody does that. But yeah, when I when I think of guys like Zambrano, Ramirez, Lee, I think about my childhood more Me so. Than, I loved watching, just laying around the house as a kid, watching games on WGN. Yeah, Miss those days sometimes. I hear you, man. I hear you loud and clear. Here are my top five. Um, a lot that. We're included on yours or included on mine. I have a few others. Uh, my number five is John Lester. Uh, obviously, yeah. the signing of John Lester was massive for this franchise. Uh, look what he did. He was a co-MVP in the NLCS. He pitched great in the World Series. We don't win a World Series without John Lester. I mean, let's face it. Number four, Javi Baez. I mean, pretty much all the points you made echoed my thoughts as well. Number three is Chris Bryant, and let me tell you, I think trading away Chris Bryant would really, really suck, but I feel like at this point it's inevitable. But 
regardless of what happens, rookie of the year, MVP, multiple-time All-Star, the guy who fielded the final out of the World Series. What else can you say, man? Chris Bryant. Number two, Jake Arrieta. His reign of dominance those few years. I never looked forward to Cubs games more than when he was pitching. That was just such a special performance to watch, especially in 2014, 2015. I remember in 2014 when he started to catch everybody's attention, he missed a few no-hitters, particularly one in Boston, where he took one into the eighth inning. And when he left the mound, Park gave him a standing ovation, and Jim Deshaies said, this man is becoming must-see TV. And becoming must-see TV was really the reality of it. It really was. I know he's declined greatly, and probably it was the better decision to let him go and not sign him to a ton of money. But just what a huge fan I was of him when he was here. I've seen a lot of pitchers pitch at Wrigley Field in my time. I've gone to a lot of games. Now, I'm not very old, but I've been to a lot of games. The games where Jake Arrieta pitched, the energy at Wrigley Field in, it was was higher than any other pitcher I'd seen before. I'd seen Mark Pryor. I'd seen Kerry Wood. I'd seen Carlos Sobrano. I'd seen plenty of John Lester. But the, Jake Arrieta starts. The energy, it, it was just, it was, it was different. It truly was. Man, when he could locate that curveball anywhere Oof. he wanted, one Oof. of the maybe the best pitch in baseball at that time. Oh, oh, it was great. It really was great. I, I, I do miss those days. My number one player, decade, it's Anthony Rizzo. I have right. number of Anthony Rizzo apparel. He's a great guy. He is probably the most consistent ball player the Cubs have had this decade. He was there from beginning to end in terms of going from bottom of the barrel to World Series champions. He was always there. He was always part of the team. They grew around him. He grew around them. He's been the face of the franchise for a number of years now. I got to go Anthony Rizzo as my number one player of this decade. All right. I like it. I respect it. All right. Now, this one is a little tougher. Um, so, I made this really clear, uh, at least I hope I did, <laughs> when we made these lists. Top signings and trades, this does not include drafting. So, these okay. are players acquired via trade or free agent signing. It's tough, because there's been so many moves Obviously, not recently, but um, let's just talk about what do you think was the number one move this decade? The number one move this decade? I, I don't think it's particularly close. I, I think you got to give that to the Arietta trade. I, it's it's on my top. Definitely. That's not your... See, I, 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 guess, I guess I could see you arguing for the Lester signing because that's my that, number two, that, that to me has always been uh, the number one signifier that the Cubs are finally serious uh, and, and plan to be in contention for a world series soon that, that set off everything else that, that followed that would in inevitably lead to their world series. 
I, I, I put Arietta at number one because, you know, not only is that one of the best moves for the Cubs of the decade, but that's going to go down as one of the worst trades of all time in baseball. And so that's, that's going to end up being a big part of baseball lore. We traded away Scott Feldman and Steve Clevenger, and we got a Cy Young award winner and one of the most consistent relievers in baseball over right. like a four or five year period. Yeah, you 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 factor in the no hitters, the Cy Youngs, the World Series. That's going to go down as one of the worst trades in Major League Baseball history. Because you know what, I'm going to tell you right now, I have no idea where Scott Feldman is today. And you know what, we earned that for that's revenge for the Lou Brock trade. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we exactly. exercised that demon, I think, with the Arietta trade. <laughs> To say the least, yeah, Scott Feldman hasn't pitched in the majors since 2017 when he was with the Reds. And keep in mind, Scott Feldman pitched in a total of 15 games with the Orioles. <laughs> Scott Scott Feldman is not a good baseball name. Scott Feldman is uh, that's a cubicle name. That's, that's it somebody, is. That's a, that's a banker. Or, or an accountant. That's Scott Feldman is not a good baseball name. Jake Arrieta is much better. If you look at Scott Feldman's picture on baseball reference, he looks like a 90s dad. <laughs> 90s dad. You just look at it. Look at it right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? And Steve Clevenger, that guy stunk. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. Steve Clevenger. He has not played in the majors since 2016. Ouch. Ouch. Though 2015, he had a nice year that year with the Mariners. 287, 314, 426 in 105 games. That's not a bad season. No. But boy, as a Cub. As the Cubby batted 199, 262, his OPS was 537. Woof. Yeah. He's got four career home runs. <laughs> I think we came out on top on that one. I think so, too, uh, to say the least. So my number one trade was the Anthony Rizzo trade. Because remember, okay, we traded for him. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he was a Padre briefly. Yes, he was. And if Red you remember, Sox too. Well, the Red Sox drafted him. He was yeah. involved in the Adrian Gonzalez trade. Mm-hmm. And we traded away good old Andrew Kashner. Cash money. Andrew Kashner. For a multi-time All-Star, consistent bat, and multi-time Gold Glove winner, yeah, we Team came leader. out on top on that one too. Yeah, we did. Yes, yes. In, did. You know, Andrew Kashner. He's had a he's had a career, a good, long, respectable career, but with clear winners in that one. You'd yeah, do it. You do it a hundred out of a hundred times. Exactly. So that was. That was a great deal, and that was made in 2012. It was one of the first moves made in 2012 by Theo Epstein. So right off the bat, he got him from Boston. Obviously, Rizzo was known by Epstein well because he was drafted by the Red Sox by Theo Epstein back in 2007. 
out of Stoneman Douglas High School. And what a career he's had. Really quite a career. So the other uh, ones I had on my list, uh, obviously the Lester signing, the Zobrist signing, and one I include on here was trading for Dexter Fowler slash bringing him back in 2016. That was a cool moment. how big did that turn out? That Wasn't was that a cool moment. Yeah, I, I remember reading about that and just being shocked when, when, I, when I read that. Because it sounded like it was, it was all but done that he was going to be an Oriole. Yeah, yeah. It, that seriously, it was a storybook season from beginning to end. Really, it was. really, it, yeah, it was. Okay, so next, let's take a look at each season. Now, this is going to be a bit longer list because it's going to be each one. Now, we don't really have time to go through every single one, but I just want to list from 10 to 1 each season, worst to best. Do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, I mean, mine won't be any in any particular order until we get to the, the good seasons because, you know, 2010 sucked, 2011 sucked, 2012 sucked, 2013 sucked, uh, 2014 sucked. Uh, and I'll be honest there, in 2012, I, I was one of my first years, like, taking a real serious look at the Cubs, you know, trying to follow them as closely as possible and not be just a kind of, kind of a casual Cubs fan. And, of course, I got rewarded uh, with 101 losses that season. And so I was a little discouraged in 2013, and you know, obviously things picked up a couple years after that. But uh, So I, I get, you could lump all those together because those seasons were the worst. Uh, I've got 2019 towards the bottom just an endlessly frustrating season. Me too. That that could have it felt like it could have been avoided. Uh, you know, th- the ending to the 2017 season was was a terrible, was a heartbreaker. 2018 was also quite terrible. Just the you know the the ups and downs. Won 95 games. That's great. But then. Losing out on the division at the last second just stung you, had a you in five the heart. Game lead. Stung you in the heart, and then dropping that wild card game to the Rockies. Yeah, still haunts me. Yeah, just 2018, even more so than 2019. 2018 just felt like an awful, awful throwaway season that had so much potential because. Obviously, after winning it all in 2016, you you kind of start to get you know those thoughts of uh, could we maybe become a dynasty here or at least close to that, and it obviously has not played out that way, and it looks like things are unfortunately kind of simmering down a little bit. I hope I'm proven wrong, uh, but yeah. So I I think you get the gist of my list. At the, at the top, I've got 2016 and 2015, and Me then too. it's just kind of the rest. Okay, so here's how I numbered mine. Um, The very worst season, I think, of the decade was 2011. It was the final year of the Hendry regime. They had no direction. They had no farm system. Wrigley Field was crumbling to the ground. There was no foreseeable future for this franchise. It was Starlin Castro and a bunch of misfits and washed-up old veterans. Yeah. And now here's... Forgettable. 
Yeah, very forgettable, gloomy, boring season. Now, the second worst season, you'd probably think I'd say 2012 because 100 losses. No. I'm going to say 2013 was worse than 2012. Do you have any idea why I'd say that? I do not. Because 2013 looked like the rebuild wasn't going great. Because you remember, the two key pieces at that time were Rizzo and Castro. They both had their worst career seasons that year. And it was like, well, if these guys suck, then where's the hope? That's a fair point. And we really didn't see any improvement. We thought in 2013, we didn't expect a good team, but we thought we'd see some improvement. We didn't. Right. Like I said, I was just kind of so disillusioned by the 2012 season that I I found it really hard to pay very close attention in 2013. It's kind of just a blip on the radar to me That now. was truly a forgettable season. Yeah. And plus, that 2013 team was way overshadowed by that Blackhawks team that won the Stanley Cup. So I wish summer. I could relate to you on that one, but I just have never been a hockey guy. Well, you know, and the other thing, too, is you're not here in Chicago. I mean, even if you right. weren't a hockey fan, that that 2013 Blackhawks season was a big deal here. I, I maybe would be a hockey guy if I was if I lived in Chicago around that You'd time. You'd have access it would be, to it would hockey. Be, well, it would be impossible to escape the hype of all that. Right. It it, it really was special. I mean, I'll tell it, you that here in Nebraska, hockey just isn't that big a deal in Nebraska. No. Actually, I shouldn't say that because we, Omaha, one of our our uh, colleges, UNO University of Omaha, has actually been uh, in the the final four of whatever whatever you call that. Uh, they like the Frozen Four, I think they call mm-hmm. it. They, yes. they've, yeah, they, they've been to a Frozen Four, I think, this That's decade. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. But yeah, I mean, point being, that was a very forgettable mm-hmm. Cubs season, 2013. Uh, then I got 2012. Then 2010, also part of the end of the Hendry era. That was truly the end of the competitive era around Hendry. Payroll was big. Lou Pinella said, all right, I'm out of here. And that was just an ugly season. And then I have 2019, and that means I have 2014 right above 2019. Because 2014, the second Starting half— to feel some hope. Yeah. yeah. The prospects were coming up. The hope was getting there. They were playing good ball in the second half. You had Arietta forming his own. You had Jorge Soler make his debut. You had Javi Baez make his debut. They were starting to be more competitive. That, that second half was fun. Yeah, then, I I like it. Yeah. I was I was I was really pessimistic. I was a kind of still a, I'll believe it when I see it kind of guy because I, I I really kind of felt in my heart of hearts that they were going to drop off and that they were just teasing us in that second half of 2014. But but you know like we we keep agreeing on 2015 you know, finally meant something. Yeah, for sure. Um. Then I have 2018 fourth. Despite all the bad that happened at the end, they did win 95 games. Number three, 2017. And you know what? I'm going to say this. The second half of 2017, when they got their crap together and made a run, that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. They had some big wins against the Cardinals and the Brewers. Watching the, watching the, the Cubs take three of four in Milwaukee and then go win the division on the road in St. Louis, that was awesome. It was. And you know what? 
it was a miserable, heart-pounding game five in Washington. But boy, when we won that, did that feel good? It did. But then, you know, that that series with the Dodgers at the very end was was hard to watch. Let me tell you one thing I'm going to admit, and I'm going to see if you agree or not. When the Cubs won that series against the Nationals, I pretty much knew the Cubs didn't have much of a chance against yeah, that Dodger team. It it felt like that. Exactly what happened, it, it already felt like that was looming, like that was what was coming up. And you know what? So the you kind of s- braced for it a little sure. bit, I guess, but it, it still was hard to take. Well, yeah, I mean, the way the season ended, watching Jose Quintana, who's had two really solid starts before in the postseason, get absolutely shelled, uh, walking you Darvish with the bases loaded, that was painful. Obviously, the Justin Turner walk-off, but, I mean, at least they didn't get swept. It's kind of funny, though, the the irony of that is, you know, I've said this before, it's funny because this Dodgers team of the past five or six years, they are what a lot of contending teams wanted to be or try to be, uh, aspire to be, and yet the Dodgers have no World Series to show for it. Yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? It is kind of funny. The, the two teams that a lot of people dream to be, the Yankees and the Dodgers, have not won well, a World Series in this past few yeah, years. And and not even not even to do with just the pedigree of the franchise. The Dodgers, just the way they ran their organization, the way they set up their team, it, it's really a blueprint for, for how other teams wanted to be. And yet they got nothing to show for it. Just it's crazy each time. Yeah, it's crazy. It really is. It really is. Tough times in Dodgerland. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, they'll see it. They'll yeah. still be in the thick of it going. You forward. really hate to see it. Yeah, hate to see it. Yeah, hate to see it. Number two, 2015. Number one, 2016. Yeah. I'd agree the 2015 season was more fun, but you know what? How can you not World have Series. number one be the championship World season? Series, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's, it's, that's it's, all I have to say. It's obvious. Yeah, you, you just you know I I respect that. I people who don't choose 2016 just stop being a hipster. Yeah, they won the World Series. Yeah, they did. Before we're gonna end, um, before we uh, get to the end where we just kind of reminisce about that World Series win, I just want to take a few minutes, just a few minutes. Let's make this quick. Worst moments of the decade. Just boom, boom, boom through your list. No explanation. Just go for it. Worst moments of the decade. Okay. Um, I, I'm not even going to give you five. I'm just going to keep this real short. Okay. Uh, I, I, I had 101 losses in 2012 as one of them just because 2012 was one of the first years that I tried to get seriously really into the Cubs and I got let down just so unbelievably hard. My disappointment was was, was just through the roof. Uh, and number one, I've got, uh, being swept by the Mets in 2015. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, those, those are good ones because, because even though I, I probably knew deep down that I had way too high of expectations of a team that was arriving early, it still was just, just killed me to watch them get swept like that. And when we were down three, nothing, I, I was just doing all these mental gymnastics to try to convince myself that it was possible for them to come back from being down three Oh, but yeah, it's that, that those were tough times. Yeah. Here's my thing. I thought going into the NLCS facing the Mets, I thought I, I was honestly thinking the Mets, 
who the heck are these nerds? We could beat them. I thought if we could beat the Cardinals, yeah. we could beat the Mets. But yeah. the Mets showed that year that they were the better team. They Frickin were freaking Daniel Murphy that year. Oh, oh. That, I I don't care if he was a Cub. His name still pisses me off. <laughs> yeah. Just seeing him pisses yeah. me off. Oh my god. He, was the biggest villain of the decade what an, what an otherworldly series he had daniel murphy and at the time he was like just he really he, he was a solid ball player, player but he wasn't yeah. that huge he, he wasn't, wasn't a, like a, a household name, name. Superstar. yeah exactly but he was babe ruth incarnate in that series oh just watching him round the bases with this fist pumping stopped. in the air oh stopped. it was nauseating nauseating everything about him him pissed me off just like his body shape that's a body shame people shaped like that he's got just the fact that he's he had like the stereotypical dad bod and he's just out there mashing i know and you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go too hard on him but oh screw it i will oh i hate his face i just i just hate (laughs) oh oh and when the Cubs got him, I'm like, all right, you can undo a lot if you just mash for us. And the weird thing is, if you look at Daniel Murphy's stats as a Cub, they don't look bad. But when you think of Daniel Murphy as a Cub, you think of him not doing anything. Yeah, I mean, there were other circumstances, I think, that raised people's frustrations all around. And so I, I, he maybe gets a little bit of a bad rap from his time as a Cub. But it was so brief that it's it's barely even worth remembering at this point he'll always be the villain right he'll always oh, be a villain. he will yeah there he did not redeem himself in his short period with the cubs he will always be the guy he was in 2015 on the mets to me and i will always loathe him for that i know it, sorry murphy but you just everything is every every team has to have that villain and he's he's just one of them that's part of sports it just is. Yeah, you need it. You need it, exactly. Um, so my quick list, worst moments. Um, the Harper walk-off Grand Slam. It was just, oh my God. Um, yeah. Losing the division in 2018 to the Brewers and losing the wild card game. You could kind of put those two together, but oh man, watching Ryan Braun and Christian Yelich and Josh Hader celebrate on Wrigley Field. Oh, that made me so mad. Yeah. Oh, um, we'll go back to 2017 briefly. You know what? This really didn't devastate me that much because it didn't really feel like the Cubs had much of a chance in the series anyway. But I'll just say it um, because it stunk. The Justin Turner walk off home run. It just we all saw it coming. Yeah, that was John Lackey should not have been in there. It just it, it felt so predictable. But here is the worst moment of the decade, and it was not in a loss, and we already talked about it. I'm just going to say right now that there is no moment in my sports life where I felt worse than watching Rajay Davis round the bases with his tongue out. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it is kind of it's funny that you get the lowest of lows and highest of highs in one game. In one game. Yeah. In one game. That game summarized Chicago sports as a whole. The highest of highs, the lowest of lows. Chicago sports has seen the greatest basketball player of all time. They saw a recent hockey dynasty. They saw one of the greatest football teams of all time in the Chicago Bears. They saw one of the most thrilling 
World Series wins ever. But they've had some of the most devastating losses. The Cody Parkey double doink. The Bartman game. Uh, back in the 70s when uh, the Hawks blew the Stanley Cup. Uh, the 84 Cubs. The 2006 Bears in the Super Bowl. The 2010 Bears in the NFC Championship. You can go on and on. Highs yeah. to highs, lowest to lows, all summed up in that one, one game. game. And that Rajay Davis home run, I cried. Yeah. That's right. I cried. You cried. Because I thought it was over. Yes. I I never cried. No, there was one other time I cried. I was a little kid. It was long time ago to sports game. But as an adult, the one time I shed a tear from devastation <laughs> was that moment. Uh, I could feel my heart dropping to my feet in that moment. That was really one of the lowest moments ever as a sports fan. I mean, but they, but they fixed it. They fixed it. it. They did. But just, just think about it. It wasn't Francisco Lindor who tied the game. It wasn't Jose Ramirez. It wasn't Michael Brantley. It wasn't Mike Napoli. It was freaking Rajay Davis. Yeah. No, most yeah. people watching the game never even heard of the guy. Yeah, yeah. Of course, it would be somebody uh, more irrelevant. <laughs> Some washed-up journeyman. Yeah, it would have been. It was the perfect goat. It really was. It was. It was worse than uh, what was his name? Garvey, in '84. Yeah. Worse than what? Daniel Murphy the year before. What what really made it even worse too is just the fact that Chapman was smiling, like uh, almost laughing, after he gave up that home run. Like, dude, do you realize what you've just done? Be be pissed. Be mad about this. I don't want to see you smiling. I truly, this is my hot take. I truly believe. I mean, he wanted to win as a competitor, but I truly believe he didn't care about helping the Cubs win. Oh a World no, Series. no. In fact, I think he probably held a grudge still against the Cubs for yes. his time on the Reds. Yeah, I, I he never wanted to be there. No, he and he he fully intended on, on being back with the Yankees once he was a free agent again. There was never right. any doubt about that. Anyone who thought that there was a chance of extending Araldis Chapman that they were no there yeah there was never any a chance of that he was going to be a Yankee again he was just going to be there for the World Series and that was it agreed so few more minutes here we're running out of time the best moment of the decade the final out I mean we're never going to see anything like that again even if unless we, we see... do yeah but it won't be the World Series that we'd all waited for well, it could be if we live to be, you know, if maybe we'll live into our hundreds. And yeah, the Cubs, well. And the, the last World Series win they'll have will have been 2016. I, and let's hope let, not. But let's hope not. Let's hope not. May, I'm, I'm just saying, like, maybe maybe someday we'll be in our 90s uh, and we can be like, oh, I remember watching the Cubs win it all in 2016. Well, I certainly hope not, but... I mean, I just, everything between the curses and all that mumbo jumbo, all that stuff just washed away. Yeah. I mean, the days following, the parade, Elation. the ceremony, it just, it felt so good and I miss it. That feeling was like uh, what it feels like to chew five gum is the best way to describe it. 
I think it's better than that. <laughs> I, I, you are such a dork. I mean, it was it was much better than chewing five gum. Well, are you a crazy. high schooler? I might be. Oh well, okay. You, taking the wrappers and putting them on your folders and whatnot. <laughs> did people in your school do that? Because a lot of people in my did. No, no, that's some weird big city crap or what? Yeah, I guess so. What I, I remember so. about gum in high school is just like if you had if you just had gum, you were a big deal and you were popular and people sucked up to you to get some of that sweet gum. Yeah, it was, gum it gum was... was like gum was like currency in high school. That's the best way I can put it is having gum in high school is like having cigarettes in prison. Pretty much. Pretty <laughs> much. You were like turning water into wine and you had all the goods. But you didn't have to. You didn't have to smuggle it into high school so much, though, as like as you do with cigarettes in prison. You did. There was no sticking gum, you know, up places. Right. Right. Hey, that was a lovely conversation. (laughs) We were talking about the World Series win, and then there was that. Um, You know, like I was saying earlier about about that game, I'll just never forget like the intensity of every passing minute. Before the game, like closer and closer you got all day, just pacing around, waiting for it to happen. I'll just, uh, yeah. And and now the other thing I'll say is I was ready to just give up when they went into a rain delay. I thought it was just prolonging the inevitable. Yeah, that, I mean, I guess that, that kind of adds to the, the lore of it, the rain delay thing, and it's, it made for some pretty good t-shirts, too. But The whole thing was, was a Hollywood movie yeah, in the end, it, but it at, really the was. Moment, yeah. at the moment, you know, everyone dreams of that Hollywood-type game. It's fun to look back at a Hollywood-type game, but actually living a Hollywood-type game is not fun at all. No, no. Honestly. It tears you apart. Honestly, I was praying that if the Cubs were going to win that game, they'd win like ten to two. But well, that was yeah, not that would the be case. ideal. But we we got something better than that, though. Yeah, I mean, in the end, they won. That's all that in matters. In the end, yeah. I mean, now the the final home run hit by a Cub that season is now your manager. That's kind of cool. The first ever World Series Game Seven leadoff home run was hit by Dexter Fowler. Ben Zobrist's game uh, tying breaking double down the line could not have chose a cooler guy to do it. And then the guy who doesn't get enough credit, the actual game winning hit was Miguel Montero. Mm-hmm. It, you know what I always say? They should have scored more runs that it didn't matter, but they should have scored more runs in that inning. They got two. They could have easily gotten more. I'm just saying. Yeah, they, they missed some opportunities. No and doubt you, about that. And, you know, going back to Chapman, I'm, I'm kind of glad he didn't get the final out. I'm glad it was a guy like Mike Montgomery. I'm kind of glad, like, the, an unsung hero that not a lot of people knew about got the final out. I agree. Yeah, it uh, it made for a good story, I think. It's, it's a it good was, footnote. It was a fitting ending. It was. It really was. And it was really fitting that the two guys making the play were the cornerstones of the franchise, as Pat Hughes said. Bryant Terrizzo gonna be a classic forever yep mm, and i thought warm it was fuzzies a... thinking about it i always get the warm fuzzies feeling about it frankly i thought it was going to be an infield hit off the bat 
I don't know. Yeah, about you. I mean it. It 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 certainly it certainly looked that way to to begin with, and but I think part of being a Cubs fan is just assuming the worst. Yeah, I mean, first an infield hit, and then like maybe a throw away from Brian as he slipped. Uh, but the funny thing was, despite the slow roller, despite the slip, he was out by like a good five feet. Yeah, it wasn't close. It was not close. Could you imagine if it came down to like a review? Oh, oh man, yeah. That would be kind of anticlimactic, but I'm all happy the way it ended in the end. All right, well, this was a fun show. We are out of time. I want to thank Adam again for coming on. I want to thank everybody for listening. And I want to remind you all, you could check out Cubby's Crib at cubbyscrib.com. You could check out this podcast on itunes.com. You could also check out a lot of Cubby's Crib's content on Twitter. So give Cubby's Crib a follow on Twitter and other social media outlets. Until next time, he's Adam. I'm Alex. Have a great night.